Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. I don't have a drinking problem. Everybody else has a problem with my drinking. I love my drinking. I love every second of my drinking. What I have a problem with is sobering up. What I didn't realize uh, was that the drug that I was on surpassed the threshold of helping me, and it was sending me straight into mania. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. This week on the podcast, Young and Not Carefree, two stories about young men struggling to find stability. Before we get started, a shout out to Park School, an independent co-ed, non-sectarian pre-K through grade 12 school located just outside of Baltimore. So both these stories we're going to share today were part of a show we did in partnership with a group of diverse organizations from the Baltimore metro area that want to increase awareness and understanding of substance use disorders and reduce the stigma that can be barriers to seeking help. So we're really grateful for those organizations for um, helping us produce the show, which was called Of Substance. And we did it virtually in fall 2020. And now we're sharing two stories um, that were presented at the show. So our first storyteller is Mike Moran. He is uh, such a good guy. He's a Baltimore-based stand-up comedian, improviser, writer, podcaster, and musician. His comedic style is best described as quote-unquote stupid smart. Um, and he truly is, I think, maybe because, you know, not just because, but um, his sobriety has caused him to do a lot of work on himself. And um, so he's one of the few male comedians that I've met who are like entirely nice, kind and sane. So um, and that says a lot. And he's still funny. So please give a listen to Mike's story. For most people, alcoholism seems to take years or even decades to develop but for some reason with me for reasons i'm still not sure it all happened at once i was 14 and uh it was the first time i was able to have more than one beer and somewhere inside of that second beer uh a a switch flipped and all the fears and anxieties that i've been carrying around just lifted from my shoulders and and this awkward quiet polite kid was was suddenly the life you know going around shaking hands and making jokes and talking to people and it was fun you know um it was fun in those early days now fast forward seven years later and i'm uh i'm alone in a in a hotel room with an empty bottle of vodka i because i had uh, been to to several rehabs several jails um many emergency room visits and, and many psych ward stays i I wasn't able to take care of myself, so you know the, the people who cared about me uh, were were always having their eye on me. So if I wanted to to party the way I wanted to party, I needed to go away from people. So I uh, I thought it would be a great idea to to rent a hotel room and get a a bottle of vodka. And uh, one night and one bottle of vodka turned into two nights and two bottles of vodka. And I'm sitting there on the floor. Uh, waiting for the liquor store to open, trying to figure out how I can make it three nights and three bottles of vodka. 
um, what would happen was when I was sober, you know, momentarily sober at that time, uh, this, this sleazy lawyer would, would come out of me and his job was like to defend my drunken self, you know, like he was, he was in charge of, uh, of PR and, uh, you know, he was the, the minister of disinformation and he was in charge of damage control and finance because I, I don't know how I at that time would have money for a hotel, but this lawyer was so good. He, he would find a way, you know, if it meant keeping the party going. And um, so I'm sitting there negotiating on, on what I need to do, what lies I need to tell, what uh, things I need to get into place to, to continue this very fun party. And um, as I'm sitting there, I, I go through what I think a lot of alcoholics are familiar with. And it's, it's that feeling of when the booze is gone, the liquor store is not open yet, the, the horrible sun is starting to shine through the blinds, and, uh, and the inebriation is wearing off. And, um, you know, the, the funny thing was, this particular uh, run was not that bad. I, I wasn't in jail. I wasn't in the hospital. I hadn't embarrassed myself. I hadn't hurt anybody. I uh, wasn't bleeding, believe it or not, you know. Other than, you know, the people who cared about me were probably worried about me. This had gone relatively smoothly. And I said, well, I guess this is, this is the successful way for me to drink. I shut myself away from the world. I, uh, I don't have a cell phone. This is before cell phones were necessary. And I, I drink so hard and fast that I pass out before I can leave and, and go cause any trouble. You know? And as I'm sitting there and that horrible sun is coming up in my eyes, I, I just, I'm overwhelmed with that. Even though things went okay, I'm overwhelmed with this, that horrible emotional hangover that comes after the drunk. The physical hangover is bad enough, but what really got me was, was just, uh, just that empty feeling that comes when the buzz leaves and, and all the emotions start coming back. And I start thinking about all the people I've hurt and all the damage I've done and, and just how pathetic and embarrassing my existence had become. And it was at that moment, I think, that I realized I don't have a drinking problem. Everybody else has a problem with my drinking. I love my drinking. I love every second of my drinking. What I have a problem with is sobering up. Um, there's just no other feeling like that for me. You know, it's the feeling of death. And, and it probably should have occurred to me a long time before, but for some reason that day, I, I just realized I'm never going to be able to escape this feeling. Even when things go okay, I got to sober up sometime. And, uh, you know, I just thought, well, I guess I can go get another bottle of vodka, or I can admit that I'm one of these alcoholic people, and that I need to try my best to never touch another drop again. And I didn't touch another drop again to this day. Um, you know, it's such a simple concept. You know, just, just don't put booze in the hole in your face, Mike. That's all you got to do. You're not even doing something. You're just not doing something. And, and yet it was so difficult for me because the, the nature of, of my addiction was that my disease had me convinced that I was never going to have fun again. I was never going to laugh again. Uh, and, and more than anything, I was terrified of being bored. You know, I, uh, I just thought that living sober would be a very boring, mundane, depressing existence. And what I found is that um, there are things 
more satisfying and fulfilling in life than instant gratification. Uh, there, the, the discomfort of sobriety, and there was a lot of discomfort, is, is hard. But on the other side, I came out stronger than I, I ever thought I could be. We tell people this lie when they get sober. We tell them, it's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. But if you're like me, it's not going to be all right. It's going to be extremely difficult. It's going to be a real challenge. It's probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. But the rewards are better than I ever imagined possible. I didn't know how good it it feels to walk around with some self-respect and dignity and to have a clean conscience and, and to do things for other people and to create things. All those things that I talked about doing when I was drunk, I, I've made myself do them because I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not very happy with, uh, with, a, with a regular life in sobriety. I've had to go to real lengths to, to find my happiness and my passion, but I've discovered that it's that challenge where real happiness comes from. And uh, when people ask me, I mean, part of where I've, I've gone in this journey is I've become a performer and people will ask me, you know, how do you, how do you, you're around booze all the time. You know, how do you do that? You perform in places where everybody's drunk. Is that uncomfortable? Is it tempting to you? And I found that those aren't the questions I need to ask myself. The only question I need to ask myself is, am I willing to sober up again? Thank you. This story I, I love, and it's hard to hear without imagining just the loneliness of like a young person who ha- who has to be sober, who must be sober, amidst a whole bunch of other young people who are just losing their minds with substances, you know? Yeah. And just yeah. like how hard it would be to maintain sobriety and like find people that you could talk with about it that are your age and that, that you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's why the community, I think of, I mean, there's a lot of um, pros and cons to 12-step programs, but I think in cases like this, um, the, that's where a 12-step program is really key because it gives you that, you know, it gives you a, a place to feel like you um, have a community that understands you and that are struggling with the same, you know, for lack of a better way of saying this, the FOMO of what is the perceived fun, you know, with, yeah. with using substances, drugs, and alcohol. Um, and um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That I think just like part of the whole sort of our, our whole envisioning of being young is you can do things without conse- without permanent consequences and he's just not in that club anymore. You know, yeah. he can't be. Um, before we get to this next story, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which offers enjoyable and low-stress acupuncture sessions starting at $35. So visit them. They have a couple locations in the Baltimore area, and uh, you can tell them that the stoop sent you. So this next story, again, shared at this show, um, same show, is by Zach Rutchkin, um, who is um, a film student at Towson University. He was born in 1997, so he's a baby. <laughs> and again, I think a story about what it's like to be young, but have to kind of take care of yourself in a way that is very adult. Yeah. Take a listen. So 
I started smoking weed in 2014. So I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and back then, it was not a problem for me. Uh, I just smoked occasionally with my friends on the weekends. Um, you know, I didn't go to school high or I, I, I didn't smoke all day, every day or anything like that. It was very much a special occasion kind of thing. And um, that all changed in 2016, which is the year that I went to college and also when I decided to take my mental health into my own hands. Meaning that when I got to college, I figured, well, I was always kind of an anxious person in high school, so um, I'll deal with it. And I called my doctor, and I was like, uh, hey, look, um, can you prescribe me this uh, drug for anxiety? And he was like, no, um, I'm not going to do that unless you come in for a visit. And I was like, well, no, um, I'm not going to do that. I'm a lazy college student. <laughs> so we um, had a 20-minute conversation over the phone, and he wrote me the prescription, and I picked it up the same day. Well, I started taking this drug, and at the same time, I was still smoking uh, occasionally. Um, but eventually, I started to notice some changes. Um, every time I smoked, things started to feel more intense. The high became more... Um, euphoric. And obviously this was great. It just made me want to smoke more. So I did. Um, but what I didn't realize uh, was that the drug that I was on surpassed the threshold of helping me and it was sending me straight into mania, which for those of you who don't know, feels like an amazing cocaine high all the time. So it was great. I figured this was awesome and it gave me all the more reason to keep smoking. Um, so I did. And, I mean, I smoked more and more, and it started to become more of an issue. Um, being high was m basically my new normal. Um, if I didn't have weed, I became very irritable. Um, you know, this became a huge issue with my parents and my friends. And eventually it hit a literal breaking point where I had a psychotic break and um, I experienced both auditory and visual hallucinations, uh, had delusions of grandeur, um, and I needed to be admitted to a psych ward, which is where I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and also where um, I learned that that crazy high that I was feeling was about to be met with... Um, the worst come down of my life. Uh, and it was. Um, it was awful. It was about a year's worth of severe depression, like um, agitated depression. And they couldn't give me antidepressants because they were afraid that that would, you know, give me another bipolar episode. So they just put me on mood stabilizers and were like, wait it out, um, get rest, pretty much. Um, so I was home. And uh, this was during the school year, so all my friends were gone. Um, I was pretty much alone, and um, but I had weed, though, so <laughs> I started smoking again. And um, obviously this time it wasn't because I was trying to chase this like manic high. It was because I was trying to cope with the depression that I was dealing with at the time. 
and it was helpful for that. Um, but it was a short-term solution to this long-term issue and really just like rolling the dice because I could have easily had another bipolar episode by doing that. Um, but fortunately, I didn't. And uh, with time, I started feeling better. And as I felt better, I started smoking less. Um, and luckily, I made a full recovery. And by that point, weed just became the same thing that it was in the beginning. It was just this recreational thing that was there, you know, that I, I wasn't depending on anymore. Um, so obviously this is just my story and uh, I'm not trying to say that weed is bad <laughs> in general because I, I don't think it is. Um, I think it's really helpful for certain people. But what I am saying is that I think it's uh, incredibly complicated and that it can be very bad for certain people. It definitely was not good for me. <laughs> um, and uh, I just think the best thing that we can do is be as honest as we can as the stigma goes away um, with our doctors and professionals because they're going to be the ones that um, will see these changes inside of us because, I mean, when I was manic, I felt normal. I thought I was fine. Um, everybody else would tell you I was a completely different person, though. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if we're honest with our doctors about this stuff, they'll be able to hopefully see these changes in us and then also take action um, to try and prevent something happening like what happened to me. Yeah, thank you. So that's a good cautionary tale from Zach, um, who is doing A-OK. -okay. By the way, I fun fact, during COVID, I acted in his student film, so it's a big And was that, was that an actually conventional film, or was that an adult film? Oh, do you mean, <laughs> are you just saying, asking, just asking a, a pornographic film that was, I like, to, I like to use the word adult film. <laughs> no, dear God, what, what young man would be like, you know who I want? No, my, no, my pornographic film. I Jessica think you would fit under the middle category. <laughs> like, anyway, yes, the point is that Jessica <laughs> is great in both conventional and adult Ooh. films and Zach is doing great and getting a lot of work done and taking care of himself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So <laughs> we want to thank, um, uh, if we have any more listeners after that situation <laughs> or, or sponsors, um, the wine source, uh, which is a wonderful place to erase the image we just conjured for you. But also drink responsibly. Let's say but the image of Jessica as a, a porn star. You can have that image erased by going to the wine source at 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden. And then um, after you need to fill up uh, your belly um, after, you know, drinking too much, boy, this is just not what we want to say after two stories that we just, right. whatever. But anyway, right. Golden West um, is where you go to get delicious uh, vegan forward food. They have a late night carryout window. Please visit us at stoopstorytelling.com to learn about upcoming events um, or to listen to stories from our archive. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. And we want to thank uh, Maureen Harvey, as always, for producing and 
to we want to thank you for listening we'll be back soon with more stories from the stoop and in all seriousness before you all go if you whether you're young or old whether it's yourself or others if you are struggling with substance abuse disorder or mental health issues please seek help there's lots of help out there and people who want to offer it and people to talk to so thanks again for listening Thank you.